Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Transportation Planner. Today we're visiting with Patrick Sun, the Managing Director of the National Operations Center of Excellence. Thanks for being here, Patrick. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. Appreciate it. Can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your role as the Managing Director of the National Operations Center of Excellence? Yeah. Um, so once again, thanks, Eric, for uh, bringing me on. And it's uh, it's just a wonderful opportunity to uh, engage all the folks at Gannett and um, appreciate a lot of the support that you guys have given the National Operations Center of Excellence, you know, over the last couple of years since it started. You know, I like to tell people that I got into engineering to see how I can help people. Um, it was just one of those things they always ask you early on, you know, what are you good at? That's what you should do for work. And what I really wanted to do was just make sure I can use my skills and talents and help people. Um, kind of coming and growing up, uh, studying and learning my traffic engineering chops in Southern California, uh, it really helped me kind of hone in what I was good at, what I was looking at and, you know, doing design, planning, operations, construction inspection. Um, but there's always a part of me that wanted to know more, you know, in Southern California, it's, you know, one of the greatest places in my opinion, uh, but they don't deal with snow. They don't deal with hurricanes. They don't deal with, uh, you know, really heavy rail or those type of things. Sometimes they do, but I wanted to learn more. So that's when I started to, pivot a little bit, got into the nonprofit space and did a couple of years with ITS America. And that introduced me to um, first emergency response and traffic incident management, and then TISMO. And when I got introduced to TISMO, uh, the opportunity opened up to be the managing director for the National Operations Center of Excellence. Uh, I'll call it NOCO from going forward. And uh, it's been a wonderful ride. Uh, there's been a lot of great support around it. And uh, we've just been able to grow and really foster that knowledge sharing that even, you know, what you're doing here is a really great example of, you know, just being able to share knowledge, uh, make sure that people understand uh, context and also where our industry is going. You use the term TISMO there, which is an acronym. Do you mind explaining for maybe people listening in that aren't familiar with that? What does TISMO stand for and what's it really all about? Yeah. Um, so let me just uh, spell out the acronym, Transportation Systems Management and Operations. The best way to explain it, though, is to not really use the acronyms, but the words that come from the acronym. So we, you know, if you think back to the transportation system over over the last several decades, especially from the Eisenhower era, we were in this build, build, build mentality. And, you know, the tagline right now or in the last couple of years has been, we can't build our way out of congestion. Um, but there's another element to that, which is we need to manage and operate the entire transportation system so that it works for us, so that it's efficient, so that it's safe and, you know, really be able to utilize every asset um, and look at our system overall uh, as an interconnected infrastructure that we use to really move people and goods. And so TISMO is not this acronym that 
starts to kind of develop like this own little niche inside of transportation, what it really becomes is the label by which we label our practice and where the evolution of our entire transportation practice is going. Uh, so that we look at systems management, we look at what are the operational needs, we look at what are the uh, maintenance and the asset management needs, we look at what are the planning needs of the future from a unique lens, um, that's probably one part of the picture, right? So planning will take care of looking at new technologies, new ways of moving, but there's still an element that needs to be looked at. What does the asset need? And the asset in this case is the entire transportation system just to be able to function and provide the advanced capabilities that we're all looking for. So Tismo started off as what normally happens in our industry. Someone thinks of some great way to frame a context, usually an engineer trying to do some communications work. Uh, then some people get a hold of it and turn it into an acronym. Then you got Tismo. And usually by about now, um, some of the acronyms start to fizzle out. And there's some diehards that will try to keep it alive. Uh, the thing that's not happening with Tismo is that it's not fizzling out. In fact, we're growing and we're expanding and we're um, bringing in different disciplines into approaching design, approaching planning, approaching construction uh, and asset management with a certain lens. And so um, we can get into that a little bit more, but uh, just wanted to let people know that this is one of those, um, the acronym is less important because the practice is starting to define itself. Thanks. That's a really good description. So tell me then about, you know, the NOCO itself. I know that you've done a good job of explaining Tismo. I've been proud to be part of NOCO since it was founded. But for our listeners out there, tell me about the center and tell me about um, some of the partners that support the center and just uh, briefly how it does business. Yeah, so NOCO, or, you know, we also shorthand it as a center. Um, the first thing I want everyone to know is that it is it is set up to be the place to transfer knowledge and really just work on the knowledge management aspect. I kept mentioning that TISMO is our practice. The best way to understand TISMO is to really share it with each other. And that's where the center lives. That's where really our core function comes from. You know, our mission statement really goes into empowering each person and each group to enhance their knowledge, skills, and abilities. Um, one of the other core aspects of TISMO, and there's a direct connection with the way that the center was formed, is to really be integrating and really, you know, form these partnerships that last a long time. So FHWA, ASHTO, ITE, and ITS America, I'm, I'm going to assume everyone knows those acronyms. Uh, they all got together years ago and um, started working together and then they de developed the back end of the website. But most importantly, they became the founding members um, and they founded the National Operations Center of Excellence. Now, for a couple of years, you know, that's always good. Uh, again, you know, other acronyms, other initiatives, they'll fizzle out after a couple of years, like two or three. But um, proud to say that the center's been not only alive, but growing for the last uh, five years. And it and we just had our strategic advisory council meeting. 
and they're pushing stronger uh, and further into the future. So this is one of those where we're continuing to grow and we're looking at um, just continuing that partnership. And, I, and I'll take a moment there. If you guys know anything about the nonprofit and DC world, it's everyone's nice to each other, but getting them to be at the table together jointly and be supportive around one thing for a sustained period of time, I mean, that's a that's a hard task. It's not that easy to, um, they all know each other. Everyone's very friendly. and But then when you get down to it, does it work for the organization? Does it make sense to have this separate um, pseudo nonprofit, you know, work with them and be a part of them uh, and then bring everyone together? Uh, and I am glad to say that it is working. Uh, it's a model that others have started to take notice of. But having ASHTO, ITE, ITS America, and FHWA all support and contribute to the success of the center has been key and crucial. And if nothing else, it speaks to the core tenant of TISMO, which is maintaining and fostering a lot of the partnerships that we have and we build uh, through our work. Thanks, Patrick. That was good. Um, I know I've definitely, like I said, I've been, uh, really enjoyed being involved and uh, it's something that's a passion of mine. So what are what's your vision for where the center is headed next? I know you talked about the strategic advisory committee meeting and a lot of good information came from that. But as the managing director, I think that your vision will be critically important. Where do you see it going in the next five or 10 years? Yeah, that's a, you know, that strategic meeting, um, as boring or as uh, interesting as these strategic meetings can go, (laughs) uh, made me start to really think about what is the future. And the one thing that I started to realize is um, how personal are we going to get with the information that you need? Um, one of the running jokes was that, you know, I was just going to give out my cell phone number and everyone has access to me 24-7. And many of you probably feel like that where um, people just have your cell phone and so they're calling you for all sorts of things and, and whatnot. But I think for the center, when we talk about knowledge management, knowledge transfer, um, we are at a point in our industry where we need to Think about everyone that's going to be going through their first or second retirement and asking ourselves, are we prepared for them to not only leave, but leave with dignity, leave leave with pride, leave with a heritage that we can pick up and grow um, and really understand what has come before us so that we know where we go forward. And so I see the center really uh, fostering that. How do we capture the practice? How do we capture the context um, from the people who have wisdom and experience for the next generation? You know, it's not to say that we have to do it exactly the way it was, but we have to know why it was built that way, why it was designed that way, why we do certain things before we even try to change it. Um, so. Uh, the best way to do that is to transfer knowledge. It's to take um, the 
not just the practice, but like the connections, the processes, the context. And I really focus on context because with AI, machine learning, um, software, it's going to crunch numbers. And I, I usually tell people like when you connect databases, you go through the rules and all that. Uh, but once you start the connection, they are the best BFFs ever. So everything that you tell them to share, they will share the nanosecond you give them permission. You know, compared to person-to-person relationships, it takes time to develop that trust. So the best way that we stay ahead of any technological curve is by sharing the context, not so much getting worked up over the specifics, you know, but understanding why, why Harrisburg does something different than Philadelphia and why they do something different than L.A., or Miami and just kind of understanding it that way. But um, in the next five to 10 years, we hope to really have a website and a digital presence that is really engaging. Um, a lot of two-way communications, maybe even you know some sort of three-dimensional communications with different people, uh, being able to support people across the entire organization level, not just at the top or in the middle, but really engineers, um, TMC operators, heck, even safety service patrol uh, folks out there. What if they need some best practice information because they encountered a new situation and their manual doesn't address it? Can we as a center provide something to them in real time on demand that they can pull it up and be like, how do I address an electric vehicle? What are the best practices? And it gives them five steps to do. You know, if we can get to that level at some point in the next five, 10 years, that'd be amazing. Um, and the same thing for like uh, planets, for example. What if they had the capability and understanding of knowing how certain data sets were used at a moment's notice so they don't have to learn everything or pre-learn everything, right? So they're working on a unique problem in a, in a, um, I call it the country suburban area where I live, where it's suburban, but you have to go through some country roads. Um, Eric, you and I have a lot of fun with that, but you have a unique geographic area that serves a certain subset of the population. Wouldn't you like a place where you can go and put in some sort of filters and you get you know, all the best practices of what's going on to address that particular region or that particular subset of the population and where they live? and how they work. And then you can go about really formulating what are the best solutions for those people in that area. Um, if, if we can get there in the next five, 10 years with knowledge management and knowledge transfer, I think our practice is going to thrive and really meet um, the demand and the changes that are coming uh, to the transportation system. So a bit lofty, a big out there but that's what visions are right <laughs> right yeah no that's great you know i was thinking about it leading up to our meeting today and i was thinking you know one of the things i think you've done a good job at is finding opportunities to set the uh, center apart and i know part of it is kind of sticking out in the crowd right because there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of things and i one of the fond ones that uh, or one of the most exciting that I've had so far. And I got to admit, when you brought up the idea, even I was a little skeptical, but it was your support uh, and lead up of the eclipse from last year. 
can you tell our listeners a little bit about that one and, you know, how you ended up grabbing onto that and why and what benefit you felt you got from it? Yeah. Um, that was a, a feel good moment. So, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, every, every good leader will tell you sometimes the reason they do succeed is a little bit of luck. But when we had caught on to this, it was really early. And uh, I, I was like, man, this is going to be a massive event. Um, nothing like this ever before. My geeky radar went off the charts. And um, I normally would have driven out and, and lugged my life, wife around. But uh, we had just had a kid, so we knew we weren't going to do it. But it was just amazing to see the preparation that was already going on in the scientific community. But what... Well, what no one was really talking about was from the transportation side. How are we going to have consistent messaging? What are people going to do? Uh, and the, the the situation is really, you have these remote areas that are all of a sudden going to get, you know, thousands of tens of thousands of people. And they're trying to, you know, load into like an entrance to a national park or just park alongside of the road. <laughs> The uh, state DOT communications folks kind of latched onto it first, and they were like, yeah, we need to have the same messaging across all the DMSs. So then they started working together. And then what we provided was a place for them to upload really quickly all the messages that they were going to do, put it out there as recommended guidance, and for all the states along the path of totality. Uh, what that also means is where uh, the solar eclipse what was significant, it was going across the entire contingent uh, 48 states, but there's going to be a band where you get complete darkness for a couple minutes. And so that band was also moving. Uh, and most of the time when we plan for self special events, they're always because of something either uh, entertainment negative or negative in the sense that they're like emergency disasters or something like that or um, very, very quick and temporary, like presidential campaigns or the Pope's visit or something like that. But nothing that goes across the entire U.S. That was the part that gravitated me. And um, so we jumped in. Uh, and the funny story, uh, if any of you know Shailen Bad, this is a funny story because I like to rub it in him. But like, uh, he was the chair of our board of directors and I brought it up and they're like, well, it's not going to be that bad, Patrick. And then Three months later, we check in and he's like, Patrick, no one else, everyone else is coming to me and talking about a solar eclipse. Like, you were right. And I'm like, I know this is pretty intense. Like, um, you know, what about bathrooms? What about regional airports? What about all the motels were booked? And, you know, what about first aid? How you how are you going to deliver emergency services if it comes to that? Uh, some of these places were out in the middle of the desert. So imagine a city boy like me trying to go out to the, to like the desert area for two nights. Like, I mean, I've done camping, but at this point, uh, you know, real campers probably wouldn't call it camping. So uh, you had all those people coming in. And the question was, are we at DOTs ready for it? And um, they spun up, you know, kind of the normal processes and it turned out fine. Being that it was a positive event, it's kind of a worthwhile endeavor. <clears throat> but in the background, what we started to do was support the communications messages. And then the um, 
really good processes of what are your checklists that you need to look at the area so that states who are coming in late to the game, they don't have to rethink all this. They just go and look at it. And that was the advantage. Three, maybe like five to seven states um, really got on it early, defined the messages, started putting out their checklists of like, check the regional airports, look at the bathroom situation and yada, 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 coordinate with national parks and really put these out there. And then in the later states that were like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. What they started to realize was that the local cities and towns got into it. They made it a big event. Oh, solar eclipse is one day. Stay for the weekend and, you know, drive up, you know, um, uh, just kind of being a part of the town. And what that allowed us to do was really publicize kind of what the transportation industry is doing. Uh, and then we were happy enough to get asked by NASA TV to have uh, Martin Knopp at the time and still is the associate administrator for operations for FHWA. And he got to go up there on one of their live broadcasts during the solar eclipse. Um, we got featured in like a book that they that the uh the society kind of put together and we talked about the case studies that came out uh from that so it was a really great event um uh we loved it there's another one coming in a couple years uh, that's going to go up from south to northeast and that'll be really interesting too so that's another opportunity where we see long longevity we can take the lessons learned from the previous one different situations but then start to apply for the next one and if ever there was a, if there ever there was this case to be made of why you need knowledge transfer, it's because of things like that. So, um, but all in all, we got lucky. It got as big as it did, and um, but uh, it was a heck of a ride. And it's nice that it was a positive story too, right? It's not like hurricane. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's great. I mean. Um... I know you guys had a lot of fun with it. I, I loved seeing what came out. So that was good. So um, just real quick before we kind of get into our, our final topic here. So what, what's been the nature of the relationship between the center and Gannett Fleming for some of our listeners out there? Just uh, as I told you, this is our internal podcast only. So I think it might uh, be worthwhile for some of our listeners to hear about the different things we've done together. Yeah. Um, and this is another reason why I got excited for this when when you called and asked me, Eric. Um, let me just start by naming a few key people. Eric Rensel and, and Chuck York and Lori Mikowski have um, seen me from the, from the beginning. Uh, Lori was actually a part of the board of directors that interviewed me uh, a couple of years ago. And um, I, Eric, I met you and Chuck early, a little bit earlier at the uh, Detroit World Congress. Uh, I got, I volunteered, but also got into uh, something that just became really big with Emergency Response Day um, in Detroit. And um, since this is internal Gannett flux, I, I was so in over my head. I, I really didn't know what was going on. And we're like, you know, T minus two days or uh, one day uh, from the demo actually happening. And Eric and Chuck are out at the demo site with me. And that's when, you know, we heard, we had confirmed like helicopters were coming in, a hazmat truck was going to be overturned, uh, ambulances were going to have uh, uh, telemedicine and video 
And I'm just like, what in the world do I do? I was an ITS American employee back then. And uh, luckily they saved me, uh, helped me put down some stripes and get ready. And it's uh, ever since then, we've been able to really um, lean on your guys' expertise and knowledge about uh, TISMO and about the transportation industry. Um, Ryan Rice was someone that uh, I got to know over the years. And um, Alexandra Lopez and, and Todd Zemkowski and Catalina. Um, and, and of course, Matt. <laughs> I've, I've, I love every interaction with Matt. Let me just say Matt Schumer, by the way. Um, super fun guy. Um, <clears throat> and what I will say is the, the real value besides, um, you know, this camaraderie type of relationship is actually the the insights and the expertise that each of you brought to really help the center. So at a point when I started, the center, everyone had this inclination. It was at an inflection point. It could either just be something that is very typical, it's very DOT um, driven, it's very made by bureaucracy, or we can really grow it. And I was given a little bit of latitude and a little bit of an opening. And that's where I was like literally pushing stuff through. Uh, if you can imagine that visualization and uh, having people like all the people I mentioned be a part of it and be the stakeholders that are saying, no, we need to move in that direction was like this convergence of things that needed to happen. Um, the support that was needed. It can't just be, you know, one person saying we need to move in this direction. You really need the support of of industry leaders, and that's where Lori and Eric really came into play. Um, and then as we got further along, and you know, I'm pretty sure we'll talk about workforce a little bit. Like Todd and Alexandra and uh, and Chuck were really critical to that. But it was it was when I think back to it, you know. Uh, I always, every time I meet uh, a number of you guys, but I always uh, am grateful because the center could have just plateaued into this, you know, mediocre website, few webinars, and peer exchanges for the buddy buddies. When I had started and I was brought on, that really wasn't my intent or vision, and I'm ecstatic to the way it is now, where we have we have latitude, we have direction, um, we have the ability to really pivot and grow. Um, and that comes from support, you know, from like Eric and Lori constantly saying, you know, what they really want to see from it, what they really want to see from uh, the center. So um, I hope I didn't miss anyone, but I mean, I've met a number of great people from Gannett that's been uh, incredibly helpful uh, for Mike's success. But this is a really great example of how your guys' involvement in a lot of the nonprofits can really help shape, you know, the useful tools that are out there. Um, and I say that as positively heartwarming as I can uh, over a podcast. So uh, if you had seen my face, I, you know, I'll just give hugs to everyone or something. <laughs> Sure, for sure. So, Patrick, with what the center is doing, I, I explained to you before you came on that, you know, part of our goal here is to create a new vision of what transportation planning is. Do you feel like what the center is doing and what it's about is relevant to transportation planners? I do. Um, or let me grammatically say that correct. 
I think it will be, or I want it to be. And here's why I I I kind of play around with those words. Um, in some contexts, you know, it means the same thing, and in a lot of contexts, it doesn't. Uh, where Tismal is right now, it it started with what is tangible, in terms of maintenance or operations itself, like active traffic management, rent metering, signal coordination, and um, stuff that's tangible. You know, you're dealing with a bunch of engineers, so they're going to want to see um, proof that this thing, you know, this concept, this approach is, is beneficial, it's positive, it's in the right direction. And that's what the last kind of years have been. The connection with planning is... Um, the missing piece that that our industry originally had said um, ITS was going to do, and I, I, I'm going to take it back a little bit more um, textbook. When you go planning, design, construction, maintenance, there was always this gap of maintenance back to planning, and uh, people thought ITS would fill that. The problem ITS had a trouble filling that was not not only the the rate of deployment, but also at the same time, ITS itself is just tools. And, and tools and data is great, but when you get back to planning, you need context. And that's where Tismo comes in. Because Tismo adds that layer of context. Everything in ITS is Tismo, but not everything Tismo is ITS. What do I mean by that? You can use cameras in multiple ways, a camera by itself doesn't describe what you need to know. It could do data collection. It could do um, incident monitoring. It could do multiple things. That's where Tismo comes in and provides the context of what's out there, what's being used, what needs to be managed. And that's where we really have an opportunity to complete that full circle back to planning. And what we do see is an, an element of one of the core tenets of the next generation of transportation planning that focuses on incorporating what the needs of the system are. You know, so what, uh, what do you need from an asset management perspective, but also from an operations perspective, what can you contribute? And when you look at transportation planning, you're looking at 15, 20 year plans, or you're looking at different models and usually they end up with, you end up with a narrow perspective of you're going to have to expand capacity. And I think planners in my conversations with them over the years get Tismo faster because a lot of them want to see solutions that are not solely meant on capacity expansion. You know, everyone recognizes at some point you have to expand capacity, but everything in between, what do you do? And I would say Tismo falls under that. It enables you to do everything in between to lead up to that capacity expansion if you need it later on. And that's where we're really starting to have conversations. Um, a lot of the MPOs kind of get it. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of leadership being shown at the MPO level because it brings people together. It coordinates the different local agencies and then when you get the council of governments, the ones that have some funding streams attached to it, uh, they can do some really unique uh, policies that enable TISMO. And, and it doesn't change drastically the process, but it just 
requires a little bit of change in perspective and mindset. So um, in the North Central Texas Council of Governments, you know, a simple policy, but, you know, with a lot of with a lot of oomph that comes behind it is that uh, every project needs to demonstrate that they looked at TISMO before getting approved for capacity expansion. And it forces engineers and planners and anyone else involved in that process to really think through what else can we do before we widen a roadway? You know, um, transportation planning is also getting to a point where the more modes, mobility on demand, um, the different types of um, call them vehicles for now uh, that are out there, personal or automobile type-ish, you're going to need ways to really utilize them to the fullest. And I think looking at it through that operational lens is going to be key. Looking at it through how do you manage scooters and bicycles and e-bikes and uh, mopeds and anything else all along your curb space. It takes good policy, but it also takes perhaps what I would consider a different perspective. And that's where uh, we really have seen um, TISMO inter interject and really integrate and enhance the next generation of transportation planning. Good. Thanks for that explanation. So we just have a, a little bit of time left here, but can you tell us about some of the hot topics the center's dealing with right now? Yeah. So the first one I would say is workforce development. And uh, workforce development is really crucial. It was one of those topics where I won't take all the credit, but the first managing director, Dennis Potiani, he he can get a lot of credit for this, um, really argued for and, and ensured that workforce development was the kind of first initiative, first priority for the center. Um, what that has turned into has been probably the fastest I've seen industry groups come together. Uh, this is where like Todd and Alexandra and Chuck came in, where they worked on an NCHRP project to really define the TISMO workforce with position descriptions, KSAs, um, recruitment, retention, and things like that. That all turned into um, where we come in. So NCHRP is really great at creating stuff. Other research type of organizations, they create knowledge. So what we decided to do was take that 100, 150 page report with a couple of spreadsheets and transform it and deconstruct it onto our website so that it's searchable. You can look through it. You can search a training database. You can search, you know, uh, university courses or whatever it is. And you can look at position descriptions all on the website. And that's the value of NoCo is we, if knowledge is created and knowledge is passed to us, we really think hard about how do we get that knowledge to people's hands. So workforce development has been something that, um, you know, Eric, you've been a great leader in with some of our student competitions. Um, Lori's been judges for a couple of them. Uh, Todd and Alexandra had created a paraprofessional white paper that was really great. Chuck has been instrumental in how we present this, you know, in workshops, the work with the University of Memphis. But you know, I will take some behind the scenes credit of the industry talked about workforce for a while, but it didn't do anything. It was just like the elephant in the room. And then after we really got some legs under us and, and some actual products, if you haven't noticed, every other client of yours is probably talking about workforce development. Um, I, 
I won't say that the center is like the only reason for that. I think there was pent up demand, but I would like to think that we were a little bit of that spark that pushed us forward. Um, so that's one thing that we're doing um, in support of workforce development. We're looking at other fellowship opportunities for the public sector, um, some sort of digital kind of fellowship that's going to come out in the next couple of months to really launch and provide an opportunity for the early to mid-career professionals. You know, on this one topic, I will say this, especially for Gannett on a corporate side, and I'm not, I don't pretend to know everything about how how it all works, but from what I've seen on the outside, the companies that really do invest in their people, and this is where I think I've seen a lot of great initiatives come out of Gannett, um, you know, not to kind of just like, because I'm on your podcast, but I have seen some great initiatives come out. Uh, the ones that do that now or even earlier are the ones that are going to have that competitive advantage going to the future. Um, and we've seen this in other sectors. You know, I've seen it in the finance sector. I've seen it in um, just um, some of the bigger consulting firms out there, McKinsey and things. Uh, the moment you start to really harness and allow your workforce, your, your people to learn and constantly learn and then shift, you know, based on where their strengths are, where their interests are and match that up a lot better. Um, it really comes into play. I think it, as a, is <clears throat> an industry, everyone needs to be thinking about which aspects of our work is going to be automated away. People focus on just truck drivers or automated vehicles. But in reality, there's a lot of our engineering work that could be automated away. So we have to start thinking about it now. And how do you keep your people with dignity um, is a really important thing. Uh, the last initiative I'll say is Artismal Awards have gotten a lot of great kudos. We found a lot of success with it. So Tismo Awards, just to let you know. We're in our second year. We've had, we got 60 submissions in our first year, 40 in our second year, our current year right now. So that's over a hundred submissions. One thing that we do that's very different from everyone else is people take so much time to submit into an award program. We said, you know what? Those submissions are the practice. They are what people are doing. And what people need right now is something quick to pick up, read, understand that context, figure out if it applies to them, and then contact someone to figure out the ins and outs. So that's what we started to do. Um, I am proud to say that our first year with the 60 submissions, we got all 60 case studies done. We call them case studies. They're two pagers uh, front and back, but that is really that knowledge of what is a TISMO practice. So if you're still kind of unsure about this TISMO, I would say you go to our website, don't look at anything else except for the no-code case studies, and you read through that and you start looking through it. And you're like, oh, I get that. Oh, I get that. That's TISMO. Um, and I think that's really solidified understanding what we mean when we say practice. But workforce development, uh, knowledge sharing is probably our two biggest um, priorities right now. And really understanding, you know, the future of how we all will absorb information. Um, yeah, those are those are some pretty exciting things that we are 
doing with the industry overall. Great, Patrick. Thanks. That's about all the time we have today. If people want to learn more about what the center's doing or follow the developments, what's the website address and what social channels can they tune into to keep abreast of what's happening? Uh, yeah, so the website is www.transportationops.org, uh, Transportation OPS. And the first place you would go to is subscribe to our newsletter. And that'll have the latest webinars and resources and information about what's going on. Twitter and LinkedIn are, are our two main platforms that we are pretty active in. And so you can just join us there. And uh, for all the early to mid-career uh, folks, for all the early to mid-career folks that you have, um, I would really encourage you guys, you know, update your LinkedIn, do a Google search, what makes a really good LinkedIn profile. Not to say that you should like, you know, find another job, but when you have people looking for experts, they're going to be looking through LinkedIn. So you really want to make sure you're representing yourself and Gannett as um, the experts that you are. But uh, LinkedIn is a great one. Twitter is another one. But really the newsletter uh, will get you almost all the information that you need. Okay, great. Hey, thanks again for being here today, Patrick. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Eric. And uh, just hi to all the folks that I know and all the folks that I don't know. But uh, this has uh, really been enjoyable and uh, great for me. So I appreciate the invitation. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. As usual, make sure to check out our podcast show on the internet and make sure to click the subscribe button. Thanks, everybody, and goodbye and good day.